You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we're dancing to the music in Fab Facts. We're infiltrating on someone's birthday in The Randomizer. And author John Kenneth Muir joins us from across the pond. That's all coming up in pod 188 of the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Pod 188, 188 yeah. of mm-hmm. the Jerry Anson podcast. Yeah, uh, Jerry brought, Anson to, podcast, brought yeah. to you by Anson Entertainment, uh, Anson with, Entertainment with your hosts. Host. Uh, will you stop doing that, what? please? It's very oh, sorry, annoying. I'm doing that. sorry, I'm doing that echo thing, aren't I? Very irritating. With your hosts, irritating. me, Jamie Anderson, and the irritating one there. <laughs> Richard James, I'm not that irritating, surely. Uh, I was just then. Yeah, you go up yeah. incrementally each week, and bearing in mind this is 188 podcast in. Wow. Yeah. And over wow. there, on, oh, yes. on my kitchen island, I don't know why what? he's doing this, with yeah. a ridiculous set of uh, beakers and uh, conical yep. flasks. And, what is um, he playing at? What's that tube that he's got that thing passing through where it cools it down and condenses? Is it called a condenser? Anyway, is that what he's got? Yeah, I think so. Chris, yeah. Chris Dale is here with this ridiculous, elaborate laboratory setup. Who knows what he's doing? Interesting coloured liquids, things bubbling away. Yeah. And he looks very, very serious. He's wearing safety goggles. Uh, yeah, white lab coat. Yeah, very smart. Yeah. Uh, now, when yeah. Chris is not doing strange experiments in my kitchen, uh, mm. he also hosts The Randomizer, which comes at the very end of this podcast, uh, hence his name, The Randomizer. Uh, True. Richard James, do you want to tell me a little bit about what The Randomizer consists of for those who don't know yet? Yes, of course, if you haven't joined us before, the randomizer is a section of the show where Chris chooses, or rather, his randomizer machine chooses mm. a random episode from a Jerry Anderson series from across 60 years of television history. Uh, he sits down, watches it, uh, gives us his comments, thoughts, uh, humorous bon mots, uh, with which <laughs> you may or may not agree. The randomizer coming up a little later on. Absolutely. I feel like Bon Mo might be Chris's drag name on the weekend. but uh, Could be. Yeah, yeah. feels Suits right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, aside from that, we'll also have, and we're yes. going to deliver this now in alternating style, uh, once oh, we've no. finished this introduction and said some things, I will be bringing yeah. you fab facts from a giant right. book of fab facts, where I flick through the book yeah. of fab facts and give you a fab fact at random, and you're going to find it fab because it's a fab fact. Yeah, good. Uh, following that, we'll be uh, popping over to the news desk for the very latest in the Jerry Anderson universe in a little section that we call the Jerry Anderson News. Or oh, and there's always news, isn't there? It's amazing. Uh, after it's that, there'll be some stuff from uh, the wonderful Podsterons around all the yep. Podsteron universe, but also an interview, courtesy this week, of producer Ben Page, who has been chatting to John Kenneth Muir, which is a name that will be familiar to many of you Space 1999 fans out there, but uh, more on that later on. Yes, and... Finally, it'll be time to wrap it all up with Randomizer. But as Jamie said, we'll be hearing from our Podstrons who've been emailing us at podcast at jerryanderson.com. They've been posting on our Facebook group and tweeting us and quite a conversation going on over on YouTube. Uh, maybe I'll look at those next week, but a few tweets today, I think, coming up a little later on. Oh, I look forward to those. Mm. Gosh, is that the yeah. first time we've ever given a rundown of what's in the podcast in that alternating fashion? 
Yes, I don't like it. Do you know what? I thought I quite enjoyed no. it. Because I really had to concentrate. Oh, I'm terribly sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, you know. I promise it'll never happen again. But in order for me to make that promise, you have to promise to enjoy Fab Facts. <laughs> Curses! Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Well, you heard it here first, Podstrons. Uh, Richard mm. James is now a huge fan of Fab Facts. Um, I didn't quite say that. But no, I'm pretty no, sure you did. Anyway, yeah, Fab Facts. Yeah. He loves it so much because, well, each week I'm here to give you a Fab Fact from our giant tome of Fab Facts, which is full of facty gubbins from all around the Jerry Anson <laughs> universe. I just used your G word there. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> uh, I've got a book. I'll flick through it. Richard will shout Fab at a random point. I will stop on that page and then I will read you the Fab Fact from the tome of Fab Facts. Richard, are you ready with your Fab? Yes. <laughs> Your enthusiasm is infectious. Here we go. Uh, three, two, one. Fab! Oop. How, oh, how's that? I think that's pretty good. Did I do well? Good. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, okay. Hmm. Well, we all have a bit of music, don't we? Uh, Richard, let's yes. start this fab fact off. In the world of a non-Anderson show, with which you are, I think, very familiar Right, okay. Well, that narrows it down a bit, I suppose. If I were to say to you, all you need is love, which television episode do you think of? Oh, what do you need? What, like the Beatles, all you need is love? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which TV episode of... Uh, are we still talking sort of genre or, or sci-fi? We're TV certainly level? talking ITC, I think. Right, well, you see, because it does crop up, I know, quite prominently in a uh, final episode of The Prisoner. You're absolutely right. Prisoner. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, okay. it's so that song, All You Need Is Love, pops up repeatedly and is quite prominent yes. uh, in that yes. episode of The Prisoner. Now, because it was an ITC show and they had a lot of money to throw about, Blue Grade paid for the rights for that uh, bit of music in perpetuity. Oh. So in other words, that episode could be shown until the end of time without mm. ever having to pay the Beatles another penny for it. Yes. Uh, and Lou felt very strongly that people would still be watching these shows decades later. That's prophetic, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, this is in contrast to how music licensing sometimes went for, uh, for example, the BBC who perhaps cleared the rights to play a song for a single broadcast of a particular show, but then had to cut the song for any future repeats or home media releases. Oh. There are, as you probably know, several Doctor Who stories, for instance, where a recognisable song has had to be replaced to get the story out on DVD. Uh, and some BBC oh. sitcoms where certain episodes have had entire scenes removed because of a copyrighted song. Have you got a particular example in mind? No, no, I didn't know that. No, that's that's come as a surprise to me. Oh, okay, well, there you go. Oh, it, it makes sense, but never heard of that before. We always learn things on Fab Facts. And that brings us to the end of this week's... <laughs> oh, 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 there's no, more. No, you haven't even got to the oh. actual Fab Facts yet. Oh, yes, yes, sorry. So, this same rule would have likely been in place for episodes of ITC-era Anderson shows that included recognisable pop songs, most notably UFO's use of the Beatles song Get Back in the episode Ordeal. Ah. Other recognisable pop tracks heard on Anderson shows include the Spencer Davis group's Trampoline, also heard in Ordeal. Mm -hmm. uh, the equal song My Life Ain't Easy in the UFO episode Survival. Mm -hmm. Simon and Garfunkel's Scarborough Fair... Heard oh, in the Protectors classic. episode Quinn. Yep. And the CCS cover version of Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love heard in the Protectors episode 2000 Feet to Die. 
Nice. Yeah. Now, the latter example is kind of an odd one out here because that piece apparently did run into difficulties and was replaced on later repeats of the uh, VHS release, uh, where they replaced it with a generic disco track. Luckily, though, whatever problem it had was all sorted by the time the series was released on DVD and the track was reinstated. Oh. Now, uh, to hear Lou Grade say in 1967 or 1970 or uh, whenever it was that, of course, people are going to be watching UFO and the Prisoner in 50 or 60 years from now. No doubt about it. Hmm. Well, that probably raised some eyebrows with his contemporaries because, <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah, but it's a long he, time. But he was absolutely right. Yes. We are still watching them. Well, I'm not watching the protectors, but lots <laughs> of people are still watching them and still enjoying them. Um, Chris Dale. Oh, Chris Dale is watching the protectors yep. occasionally, yeah, and enjoying some of them. Uh, <laughs> and new generations are constantly discovering the shows too. So we wouldn't have been able to uh, do that as easily if Lou hadn't essentially future-proofed them by throwing money at things like perpetual music rights yeah. or obviously agreeing to spend on shooting lots of them on expensive 35mm film and ensuring that we yeah. could enjoy them in HD later on, even though HD wasn't a thing. I know, amazing. Yeah. Uh, future-proofing shows for later decades wouldn't have been as much of a priority for him as just selling them for, for broadcasters, for which securing the music rights would still have had, would have been an important concern. But even so, he definitely had an eye on the future, which has had a huge impact on how we enjoy these shows today. So thank you, Lou. Good old Lou Grade. Incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And of well, course, as, as I'm sure you know, in Australia, Kerry Packer, bought Thunderbirds mm. in perpetuity from Lou, I think for a million dollars. Oh, I didn't know that. Which at really? the time was, you know, that's quite a big spend. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why Thunderbirds is is perpetually enjoyed in Australia, because there are wow. no repeat costs for it. Mm. Great. Interesting. It's rather like those contractual conversations that you had with Benji Clifford about our opening music. Absolutely. I mean, was that ever resolved? I know he's getting quite a hefty amount every week. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. pa- paid in Haribo, I believe. So, yes. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Well, music rights and, and all sorts Gosh. of rights are very, very tricky indeed. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I very often, uh, you may know that I've written several plays which, which are published and, and performed every yes, now and then. And, uh, I'm very aware. Uh, we get sort of round-robin emails from our publisher and he, he's always saying, please don't put songs in your scripts unless you've got clearance from the publishers. Yes. Because, you know, that will prohibit them being being shown. And I write in saying that if you include lyrics in a script they have to be paid for too but if you include the yes. title of a song you don't have to pay for yeah, it exactly yes titles cannot be copyrighted isn't that so, amazing uh, yeah that's right because there are so many books and plays and films that of course titles are going to crop up you know more than once but yes uh, and I think there is the parody law of course which you could just about get away with sometimes if you're parodying a yes. song um, but um, yeah other than that very very tricky area tricky stuff yeah mm. of course uh, no better example than when they use the uh, Human League track in Space Precinct which had to be yes no, that's that. right don't you want me baby I know yeah, yeah. yeah for, for Orin and Romek's first scene for the yeah. first romance scene yeah that's right uh, yeah. no, no post ones don't worry that never happened and uh, the Human League's <laughs> lawyers do not need to come after us I'm, I'm sure that's an extra on the uh, DVD box set <laughs> Uh, well, it will be for the next release. There we go. Anyway, this has all got a bit weird, but I think that probably yeah, has. brings us to the end of this week's... Music perpetual facts. Fact. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, what did P- you say? Perpetual. Fact. Perpetual fact. A perpetual fact. Because you were music. That's perpetual that's... music rights. I mean, that's my sort of nightmare. That is a perpetual fab fact. <laughs> you're, oh, you're so that, rude. Look, unless you've got anything nice to say... The only thing that's good about it is that it's short and sweet. Yes, all right. Thank you very much. <laughs> if you've got something nicer to say than slagging off my fab yeah. fact... Well, well, funnily enough, I have. Good. Get on with it. 
<laughs> and it's this. Our lovely Podstrons have been in touch again. Of course Hooray. they have. Yeah, they've been emailing us at podcast at jerryanderson.com. For example, Cameron and Gemma uh, emailed us to say, Dear Richard and Jamie. Uh, Hello. I like that order. Um, it says, my girlfriend, uh, that'll be Gemma, is a huge fan of Captain Scarlet. And whilst discussing the show, she asked an interesting question. For the opening title sequence, additional dialogue was recorded by Charles Gray as Colonel White, instructing kids, Captain Scarlet is indestructible. You are not. Remember this. Do not try to imitate him. Yes. I'm sure we're all familiar with that. Now, she asked whether this dialogue was recorded in response to complaints from annoyed parents whose children had hurt themselves playing as the indestructible hero. Were there worries from the tele- television watchdogs insisting that they film this message? Or was it forward thinking from the team at Century 21 preempting concerns from parents? My dad was telling me that for the original black and white Superman series, they had to start putting warnings at the start of their episodes. This was because kids thought they could wear a cape and fly, resulting <gasps> in serious injuries. Uh, kids are very impressed. Uh, all the best. And that's from Cameron and Gemma. So uh, was that as a response to uh, anything specific, do you know? So I don't actually know. That's a great question. Maybe mm. uh, the randomizer will know. Maybe he'll answer that for us in the next week or two. Yeah. Um, I think there are four different versions right. from the opening, uh-huh. uh, which we've got somewhere around. Yeah, I, oh. I, I don't know. But, I mean, it's, it's quite possible. Mary Whitehouse wasn't uh, terribly active in 1967, was she? She, she no. cropped up more in the 70s. Italy. That's right, that's right. So, uh, and for listeners uh, in the US and, and elsewhere, Mary Whitehouse was, um, well, a, a flustery yep. old lady who was yes. trying to protect children's interests and would often, you know put in big complaints about uh, scary stuff and, and yeah. the, particularly she hated the drowning scene in uh, The Deadly Assassin, the Doctor Who story. That's right. Yeah, um, so, yeah. so, But yeah, I don't think yeah. she put any complaints in about Captain Scarlet. So I will try and find out for you and hopefully the randomizer will know. But if you know the answer, Podstrons, email us podcast at jerryanderson.com. We'd love to know what you reckon. Now, I always thought it was a bit of a, a double thing in that, yes, a serious warning to kind of uh, protect them from litigation or, or so on. But also, I always felt it was a bit tongue in cheek. I mean, a, a little bit kind of, you know, I don't know. For, for the parents, it was a bit of a smile, a bit of a wry smile yeah. that they were suggesting don't try and do these things. Because, of course, the things that Captain Scarlet got up to in the series were, were ridiculous, really. Yeah. And of course, you weren't going to try and do that. Yes, don't but, throw you know, yourself off the Skyview car park. Yeah, and, uh, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Stephen Watson got in touch to say, Hi, Jamie, Richard and Chris. Best wishes to you all for 2022. In a buying binge several months back, I purchased uh, said film. Uh, now, this, I think, is... Uh, journey to the um, far thing. Side, side of, of the, the whatever. Sun. That's right. Exactly. Uh, but, says Stephen, I hadn't watched it. When Chris said it was going to be in the randomizer, I immediately skipped to the end of the podcast and decided to watch it before hearing the randomizer give his take on it. It was fascinating to watch the film and then straight away listening to Chris's take. His knowledge of these things is mind-boggling. Actors, scripts, sets, plot choices and more. Oh, yes. I enjoyed the film, says Stephen, but parts really dragged and it could have been shortened by at least 15 minutes and not lost anything. Unlike the silences and waiting times in 2001 A Space Odyssey, there is little drama in the equivalence in Doppelganger. It's a curious film for many of the reasons Chris covers, and there's a feeling that it could have been rather more than it was. The effects are excellent and the music fits as expected, and fun to see so many shadow operatives at work in their previous day jobs. How can Chris not have seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? He needs to rectify that 
ASAP. Thanks as ever for seasonal fun and keeping it all together for our enjoyment. Looking forward to finding out what is up your collective sleeves in 2022. <laughs> and that's from Stephen. Our collective Great. arms, I suspect. Yeah, well, I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I mean, um, yeah, Doppelganger or Journey to the Far Side of the Sun. I mean, it, I don't know. I think it stands up rather well against uh, 2001. Yeah. Which in itself has its moments where not an awful lot happens. That's true. I suppose it's more deeply philosophical, 2001, yeah. by leaving it a bit yeah. more mysterious. But yeah, yeah. I, I think Doppelganger is kind of cute and it's got its well, it, some stunning visuals and all that, those lovely uh, rocket launch scenes done by Derek Mennings and Co. done outdoors yeah. to get the natural light. And, oh, they yeah, look so absolutely. good. Goodness yeah, me. lovely. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, good show. Ed Dutra, Happy New Year all. I hope that your 2022 has begun as auspiciously as mine. On New mm. Year's Eve, says Ed, FedEx delivers the Moonbase Alpha Technical Operations Manual Ooh. to my doorstep. I have to say, Chris and Andrew created a work of art that far surpassed my expectations, oh, and I expected a lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> he says, The breadth and depth of detail provided for the interiors and exteriors of the base and all its vehicles, Alpha's history, including a few surprises I wasn't expecting, and the mentions of their alien encounters combined to create one of the most interesting manuals I've seen to date, a terrific reference that I cannot recommend highly enough. He goes on to say, If you ever decide to publish a second volume, might I suggest a deep dive into the Voyager 1 databanks? This would provide a logical path for documenting the alien cultures, ships and equipment seen on the show or encountered in the audio dramas. Interrogating the databank might also give Chris and Andrew a chance to let their imaginations run wild by expanding the Space 1999 universe to aliens that the Voyager probe had encountered during its long journey but were not seen on the show itself. Keep up the great work regards from ed now that is a nice idea isn't it it is indeed well there's i mean there's so much space to explore yes no uh, pun intended <laughs> exactly who knows what we might end up doing uh, yeah. I, I mean i know chris and andrew are busy at work on the next book oh, uh, i don't think right. we've announced what it is yet if we had okay. uh, then that's happened by mistake or i've forgotten or both mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> but we'll have more news on that very soon but thank you ed and i'm really glad you liked it as we said last week i think they done us proud haven't they yeah, they have done us proud. Absolutely right. Chris Turner is looking ahead. Uh, says, hi, Jamie, Richard and Chris. In pod 185, Jamie asked listeners to write in and say what we want to see in 2022 and beyond. So mm. my wish is very simple. Ready for this? Uh, I'm standing by. In big block capitals, more brand new content! Exclamation <laughs> mark. He says, I love all the audio dramas, the books, in fact, all of the merch from the classic shows, and I definitely want to see more of those things too. Just a slight diversion on that. I think I heard Jamie mention the possibility of audio versions of the John Thaden Captain Scarlet novels. That would be fantastic. So, he says, regarding brand new stuff, I know we have the documentary A Life Uncharted to look forward to, yep. but what else do I really, really want from 2022 and beyond? Well, Season two of First Action Bureau would be great. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, he says, listening to season one really sent a tingle down my spine as I realised it was the first brand new Jerry Anderson show I'd experienced at the time of launch since Space Precinct way back in the 1990s. Wow. Uh, then he says, there's the new Terror Hawks. I'll be honest to say, I've never really got into the original, but I'm willing to give the new version a try. And then, of course, Firestorm. He says, we had some teasers uh, through Anderson Insiders a while back, so I'm hoping that it's still coming along. Anyway, keep up the good work, and here's looking forward to 2022. Best wishes from Chris Turner. There, well, he sounds a very happy bunny, doesn't oh, he? Oh, well, I'm glad you're happy, Chris. Yes. Uh, so, in an ideal world, we would have had First Action Bureau Series 2 out um, yeah. at the tail end of last year, but availability has just been such a, 
a problem because our amazing cast are so talented and so busy. It's yes. tough to get them all together. Yes. Uh, and no better example of that than Richard James, of course. Oh, so um, busy. Who is so busy. Yeah. Sometimes I have to get up from the sofa twice a day instead I, of just the once. There you go. It's very difficult to get hold of you as a result. Yeah, it really so, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so hopefully that. Now, uh, everything else. Yes, and we're, we're, I, I, in many ways, I kind of wish that you could all be flies on the wall, although there'd be quite a buzz then, uh, yes, seeing what's going on. But uh, we have to keep these things close to our chests. Mm-hmm. But yes, lots of things going on. In fact, even minutes ago, uh, six yeah. minutes ago, I have an email from a broadcaster about one of the things which we can't <sighs> talk about. It, they just take so blooming long. I think I said, yeah, I've said recently that uh, your average time from from getting an idea out there to having it on the screen is currently six to ten years. Yeah, um, and that's that's for something which goes through the, the traditional routes of uh, linear or even streaming uh, broadcasting because it's just such a huge thing to bring together. So yeah, stand by, right. uh, stand by. We are working uh, our very hardest on all these things. Of course, of course. And finally, for now, Paul Hyde says, Happy New Year. Uh, please, 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 could you invite Pam Rose to the concert? This will be standby for action in April, as she was in Space 1999, both seasons, and it'd be nice to have her there. I did ask her if she was going, but Pam said that she doesn't go anywhere much. Be nice to see her and to hear some tales from the show. Many thanks from Paul Hyde. Oh, yeah, yes, we, we love Pam. We love yeah. Pam. Yes. Yeah. She's always good crack, as the, uh, the Irish indeed. say. Indeed, yeah. yeah. So, so that'd be nice. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, do let us know if you're going to the concert. I know there's been a bit of a buzz about it on our Facebook group. People saying, when are you going up? Are you staying overnight? And obviously yes. there are plans for a bit of a get-together, which will be wonderful. So, yeah, let us know. Are you going? This is April the 16th in Birmingham, I believe. You're correct. Uh, stand by for action. The uh, the Barry Gray concert. And more besides, not just Barry Gray. No, absolutely not. It, we, it's mm. all, all the tunes, right from yep. uh, 1957 to 2005. Wonderful. Uh, all inclusive and some very special new arrangements and all sorts of great stuff coming along. So, uh, yes, we hope you'll join us there. Now, would you yeah. like some of that Jerry Anderson news that we were talking about not too long ago? Some newsy news, 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 in fact. Bring it on! Okay. Yes. Uh, wait, as, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Newsy, what? news, news, news. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Get in here quick. Gosh, that was excellent. Thank really you. kept me on my toes. <laughs> uh, now, all right, fine. Yeah, Jerry Ann's news. I just have a quick question yeah. for you, Podstron. Did you get something oh. nice in the sale? Hey. We, had a, we had a week-long January sale, and a lot of you uh, raced along to get some goodies. Yep. Um, yep. As we said, all those T-shirts, I think there were 70-odd designs. That, that we were giving a final countdown to well they're all gone yeah. that's it really yeah. wow yeah because nice. we, we've got some great stuff coming through we need to make some space uh, so all those designs are gone more on that very soon I hope you got what you wanted do let us know uh, email yeah. us your swag pick uh, oh, to podcast at jerryanderson.com uh, now one of the things that we're making space for is uh, the rather lovely MPC Comlock and Stun Gun model kit ah now lots of you yeah, lots of you grabbed 1612's lovely Comlock and Stun Gun kit, or set, I should say, rather. But a bit rich for some. It was quite a high price point. Uh, and they yeah. did fly out very, very quickly indeed. Now, this is your opportunity to make your own for a much lower oh. price. Uh, pre-order launched uh, today, I believe. And they are, I think, 49 
rather okay. than the 150 odd quid that the pre-made yeah. ones are so yep. good way to get it they should be arriving here well, i think mid-february but there'll be a, a date on the page and we're getting much better at taking into account all the logistics delays that seem to be around right now so yeah. uh, go along and grab those from the jerry anson store now by popular demand lots of you have been asking for our lovely gail myers co uh, yes. mugs the control panel mugs but you want they want them individually which i totally understand so by popular demand they are now available uh, in, as singles so you can pop along and just search for gale g-a-i-l and i'm sure you'll find them there or control panel on the store and you'll find the control panel mugs too and as i mentioned of course we've been making space for our brand new stock including t-shirts uh, some new t-shirt designs are on their way in fact over the next six months we yeah. have approximately 36 designs coming your way. Oh, that's ridiculous, really? No, I'm not expecting everybody wants all of them, but it's a nice (laughs) spread of different designs. (laughs) Someone will. If you do get all 36, then we'd love to see uh, that. That sounds crazy, but great. (laughs) Uh, So they'll be coming out every couple of weeks um, over the next six months. Uh, Now, April the 14th, we'll see the second ever Jerry Anderson Day. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, around that time, you'll also be getting the documentary released on BritBox and elsewhere worldwide with uh, uh, distributors, uh, sorry, I should say broadcasters and streamers to be confirmed. Mm-hmm. We'll have a concert on the 16th and lots of activity around there. But what would you like us to do for this year's Jerry Anderson Day? What did you enjoy last year that you'd like to see again? What What did we not do last year that you want to see? What did we do last year that you... Yeah, could take or leave yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to know uh, what you'd like to see just email us podcast at jerryanderson.com or you could tweet us uh, hashtag jerryandersonpodcast or hashtag jerryandersonday and make sure to tag at least one of I'm Jamie Anderson Richard N. James or Chris Darlick uh, oh, so there we go. can see uh, yeah that would be great I'd love to get your feedback on that now finally the Thunderbird 2 kits from Backman goodness me they sell fast very fast oh. indeed. Now, every time we put them back in stock, they sell within half an hour. So right. what we've done is to, to try and reduce that uh, load is that you can now back order them, pre-order them, you know, from now. You just search Thunderbird yeah. 2 kit. They will be in stock in a few weeks' time and we'll send them out according to who's pre-ordered them. Once they sell out, that is it for the Thunderbird 2 kits until at least July. Ah. Just so you know. So... We believe July or August is the next time they will be back in stock after this final pre-order and back-order window. So if you want one, guaranteed, uh, in the next few weeks, then go along, pre-order it, and uh, we'll get it to you as soon as possible. (sighs) I think that's probably it. That's quite a lot of stuff, actually. You too, right? Exhausting. There's always so much stuff. Uh, But uh, for now, I'm pretty sure that is the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News. That was the news. Exhausting news. Yes, I'm going to have a nap now. Would you yes, mind taking I over think that's fair enough. Of course, I'm going to head straight on over to our Facebook group. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podstrons. But you know that by now. There have been uh, lots of activity. Uh, the first uh, quizzes of the year have taken place. People are already posting their, their uh, Christmas uh, merch that they found under the tree at Christmas and so on. And people are showing 
pictures of their art they'd like to share with the other Podstrons. It's all going on. Now, Penquiller, for example, is reading James May's Magnificent Machines and says, More Jerry Anderson references turning up in my reading, though not too unexpected, as James May is a fan. She says, Even the uh, chapter numbers use a familiar font. Do they indeed? Uh, Hannah has a question for any Terrorhawks fans, uh, including Jamie and Chris. She says, I'm planning to give Terrorhawks a watch soon. Are there any episodes you would recommend, or should I just watch from the beginning? Hmm. Well, I mean, do watch from the beginning to kind of get the setup, but bear in mind that the first two episodes are a bit slow. Right, yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Chris Dale is the best man to ask there. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But yeah, I mean, as long as you're you're willing to give it the time, then the first two or three episodes are are a good place to start as any. Yeah, good. Uh, Alex Patrick says, if you think about it, even though the Mistrons rarely succeed, they still kill off a lot of people. Dr. Magnus from Operation Time and Professor Carney from uh, Codename Europa must have been revered in their respective communities. Uh, Then there's the 300-plus defence personnel from Avalanche, which I reckon will make it a nightmare to find new people. Uh, Noose of Ice and Flight to Atlantica will see see them with a partial victory. The the list is endless, he says, uh, which led me to think, who do you think is the deadliest foe? In the Anderson universe. Torchy. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Yeah, no question. Uh, Gary Hodgkinson says, I think the Space Precinct episode that Chris Dale was thinking of on the randomizer a couple of weeks back, where Podley lets Haldane off, could be deadline after Brogan and Haldane use the cruiser to avert disaster by pushing a pod off course so it misses Ivory Towers. The cruiser crashes into Mona's diner. Afterwards, in Podley's office, the cops are receiving an earbending from Podley for crashing into the diner, and Haldane mouths off about the residents of Ivory Towers being saved from pushing up diluvian daisies. And Podley quips, (laughs) quite right too, and the scene moves on. He says it's a good episode, which sees Mr. James getting to voice one of the two Creons he's playing. Well, I'll take your word for that, Gary, because I don't remember. Uh, I'm sure you're right. Um, <laughs> I don't Ed remember Tipton. No, no. Uh, he's been watching the uh, the Rubber Soul sessions from the Beatles. And he says, as, as a huge fan of both the Beatles and all things Jerry Anderson, I was delighted to find those two worlds briefly collided. I mean, this goes back almost to the fab facts we had earlier. Yeah. He says, uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon riff on some Jerry Anderson tropes. And yes. Paul comes up with a great spoof of Aquamarina's lyrics. Except it's rude and we couldn't play it in this. Uh, <laughs> and also it hasn't been cleared by Lou Grade in perpetuity, so sadly no, we can't have it. Fair enough. Uh, Steve Godrick uh, shared a link saying, for those interested, Dick Spanner has uh, appeared on Amazon Video in the four-episode format with the entire lot available for four ninety nine. That's not bad, oh, is it? Okay. So heads up. Yeah, it's brilliant. That'll please... Uh, Terry, that'll uh, pay for his Christmas presents next year. Uh, Hi, lads, says James Pilson Wood. I hope you had a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. I'm loving the vinyls being produced. Here's really hoping for a Thunderbirds Argo and Thunderbirds 6 movie soundtrack vinyl in the future. As for what I'd like to see in 2022, well, it's more pistols. And maybe just me, I love my brain's watch so much that I'd love to see a replica one produced that was worn by Captain Scarlet. All the best team from James Okay, James. We'll see yeah, what we can do. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, got, you, you have your instructions. Off you go. Yes, I, I'm doing it yeah. right now. So, you know, as we know, uh, our Facebook group is, is a, a busy place full of wonderful, supportive and caring people. And Tom Hodden, <laughs> who once again <laughs> has provided me with this week's <sighs> Quick Fire Five. <sighs> Okay, Jamie, now this time we have some more movie questions. Once again, your favourite characters have been busy at the movies, 
but you have time, or rather you won't have time to see them all, so choose wisely. Would you rather see Parker as Poirot or Father Unwin as Sherlock Holmes? Oh, oh uh, Poirot, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Orin and Romek in Lethal Weapon, or uh, Captain Scarlet, Captain Blue and Colonel White in Three Men and a Baby? <laughs> well, obviously I'm going to say uh, Orin and Romek, aren't I? Uh, yeah, of course you are. Uh, Command Shaw in Rear Window, yeah, or Brains in Flight of the Phoenix? Uh, <laughs> brains? <laughs> uh, would you rather see Mad Max but everybody is dressed as Mr. Bear, or Gremlins but the monsters are all Joe 90? Oh, oh. Uh, oh hang on, would you get to stick Joe 90 in the microwave in that case? Yeah, <laughs> well, Gremlins, please. Oh, okay. And finally, the Protectors in Carry On Camping, or the Altharians in Clue? <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, protectors, why not? Oh, right. there you go. Oh, uh, that's another me. of Tom Hodden's quick fire fives. Well, well they, they certainly don't get any no. worse, do they? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Well, they get the brain ticking over, don't they? I think it's quite a... Well, I'm very much in need of that, yes. You're well, right. quite, yeah. Uh, there we go. Uh, so do join in the fun on our Facebook group. Uh, they're a really lovely, friendly bunch. And I know that they've helped a lot of people over the last year or so just by being inclusive and nice. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, well, we love a bit of that. It's always a lovely yeah. place to be, isn't it? What lovely human beings. I know, they are. Speaking of lovely human beings, mm. Ben Page is giving us both a week off interviews. In fact, he's oh. giving us three weeks off interviews. How do you feel about that? Hey. Well, great, okay. Yeah, well, he's had an extensive chat with John Kenneth Muir. Uh, and you're going to be hearing that from this week and the next two weeks after that. Now, John is a name that you may be familiar with if you're a Space 1999 fan or if you like to read non-fiction books about film and TV because John has written over 30 books about subjects like Doctor Who, Blake 7, horror and science fiction cinema and, of course, Space 1999, which, is, ah. which was the subject of his first book. He's also written two Space 1999 novels, two Space 1999 short stories Gosh. and created his own original web series, which ran for three seasons. Busy man. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think John will have some fascinating stuff to say about Space 1999 from a fan and professional perspective. So here's Ben chatting to John Kenneth Muir. This is Ben Page with the Jerry Anderson Podcast, and I'm here with a distinguished sci-fi fantasy author. John, your, uh, your resume goes on and on. Oh, thank you. So uh, why don't you introduce your, yourself and... Tell us a little bit about who you are. It's John Kenneth Muir. Well, yes, Ben, I'm so glad you're here with me. It, it's nice to see a, a friendly face in the world of uh, pandemic. And I am John Kenneth Muir, and I am the author of several uh, reference books about horror and science fiction television. My first book was Exploring Space 1999, which was originally published in 1997. I've written books like horror films of the 1970s, horror films of the 1980s, horror films of the 1990s. You may be sensing a trend there. Uh, <laughs> I've written about Doctor Who, Blake Seven, the comedies of Christopher Guest, basically anything in the pop culture that has been of interest to me. I've created my own science fiction fantasy web series, The House Between, which is coming back as a series of audio adventures. So I'm very excited about oh, that. Cool. But I always say... Jerry Anderson, particularly Space 1999, is like my good luck charm. Mm -hmm. My first sale in nonfiction was about Space 1999. My mm -hmm. first sale to a magazine was about Space 1999. And my first novel, the officially licensed uh, 
novel, The Forsaken, was a Space 1999 book. So I hope I've been good to Space 1999, but Space 1999 has certainly been good to me. It's really inspired my imagination. Yeah, yeah. So it, it seems like pop culture is pretty important to you. We're sitting here in your office, and I'm surrounded by a sea of uh, unbelievable collectibles, just this amazing collection that you've amassed here. How, talk about a little how pop culture became important to you and what your earliest memories are of things that kind of triggered you down this, this path. Absolutely. Pop culture has been one of the most important things in my life, I would say, since I was a really little kid. And it's hard to go back that far since I'm 52 and objectively analyze why that is the case. But somewhere in the early to mid-70s, I became aware of these incredible productions of great imagination. And I can't say I was thinking about their artistic merit. I was thinking at that point about how they immersed me. You know, I wanted to watch these programs like Space 1999 and then go on the playground with my friends and create my own Space 1999 adventures. Mm. And Space 1999 in particular seemed very tantalizing and real to me. Because today we have a lot of different things. Uh, a lot of, you know, we've got Star Wars and Star Trek. We have all these different, you know, examples of science fiction. In the early 70s, when I sort of became conscious uh, of these productions, Space 1999 was set in the near future. I thought this this could be me in 30 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it seems so real and realistic. Now, I love Star Trek, and Star Trek was so colorful and bright, but by the time I got to it, maybe in the mid-70s, it it didn't seem real to me anymore. I love it. I mean, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I, lo- I adore Star Trek. But Space 1999, to me, that's what the future was going to look like. I watched like, yes, this is it exactly. We're going to have these com locks that are going to open doors, you know, mm-hmm. that have our specific information on them. Right. Uh, you know, we're going to have computer terminals that look like this. We'll be talking, you know, to each other through FaceTime, essentially. Right, right. All those things just seemed absolutely plausible to me. Mm-hmm. But then I think the thing that really got me was the idea that we would have those adventures. We, we would go to space. We would do these things. But we, we weren't really going to be able to reckon with what we found there. Right. And, and a lot of people have described Space 1999 as Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great description. But the idea of getting to space and having all of our great technology from Earth, the Comlocks, the Eagles. I mean, who mm-hmm. doesn't love the Eagles? I, I want an eagle today. Um, if I could fly any spaceship, I'd want to fly an eagle. <laughs> but, you know, to, to think you have all of these things, we, we've sort of mastered our world, right? right? And then to go into space and to c- encounter things that are mind-blowing, that challenge our ideas of life, death, humanity, who we mm-hmm. are, where we came from, where we're going, that just absolutely galvanized my imagination. And I know I've spoken before about Dragon's Domain, but that was I th- the second or third episode, I feel like, that aired on WPIX in New York. And then we were, I was in New Jersey as a child, so that was the second or third Space 1999 I watched. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of these heroic astronauts and their very, to me, real, believable spaceships 
to end up in you know this spider's web of this thing that doesn't register on scanners is it is it real how do we calculate that it's real you yeah know, and, and it just you know rips the skin off the astronauts <laughs> and spits their steaming corpses out onto the deck of the the ship to me that that was a moment that yeah. was a moment that stuck with me and has stuck with me ever since that that juxtaposition of our technology with something totally horrible that we couldn't predict, something monstrous. Right. I, I just love yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Now, for some people, that might have been a, a traumatic experience. But for you, you, you saw it as, uh, as something that you could explore. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I believe I was six or maybe about to turn six when wow. I first saw Dragon's Domain. And there It's was, quite scary for a six-year-old. It is. And obviously... You know, from my resume, I like horror films. Uh-huh. <laughs> I found there was something there, an excitement, an urgency, an immediacy mm. to Space 1999 and that story and story a story like uh, Force of Life, again, with a, yeah. a monster in its own way, where terror is a real component of that. And I realized yeah. this is something new to me as a six-year-old. My heart is beating faster. My adrenaline is pumping. Uh-huh. And, and, and it's over. And I take this deep breath. And it was like a whole new world had opened up to me. Yeah, it opens that world of uh, self-reflection a little bit. Where you right. Can, uh, you know, once you, when you face that fear in that context, it gives you a new, a new way of uh, exploring. Absolutely. So I don't, I don't, I, I'm sure I was afraid of it, but I, I think the thing that I realized about myself, and my, my wife is a psychologist, I'm sure she would analyze me about this, <laughs> but I think I realized... I think I was terrified, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Space 1999, year one, had so much of that mystery and terror. I remember vividly the um, this episode montage for Missing Link and all of the crazy things in that vision Koenig had, the, the sort of monsters and beings of the you know, exposed brain and the electrodes reaching for him yeah. you know in the chair and you know he, he's like zoomed back and he's you know alone in this vast room yeah and uh, of course it took me years to understand i was responding to not just the presence of the monsters but the way it was filmed the artistry in which it was made mm-hmm. that was my discovery about space 1999 as an adult that the reason i felt this way this way that I liked was that so much care and craft had gone into making yeah. these programs. Well, they were treated like little films. Absolutely. They were shot on 35 millimeter and they had, you know, all the great crews of Britain were there. Brian Johnson, obviously on special effects and Charlie Crichton, the director. These were people steeped in film language and film grammar. Absolutely. So it was a very cinematic kind of thing to be on television. And, and it still astonishes me that a miracle like that happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think what happened was, and I know my for, former pro, film professor would be horrified, but when I went to college and I studied film and I learned all about film grammar, I was like, wait a minute. I can apply all of these things of film criticism uh-huh. to Space 1999. And look at this. Look how it holds up. Look how they used this. Look how yeah. they did this. Isn't that amazing? American TV doesn't do that. American TV in the 80s didn't do that. Yeah. It wasn't until the 90s and mm-hmm. you know the genre specifically. You know, speaking of something like the X-Files, which right. again, beautiful camera work. Yeah. You know, but you know, then it's like we sort of caught up with the kind of cinematography and the, mm-hmm. the mise-en-scene that Space 99 was doing in the 1970s. And and for me, that was a revelation. But the revelation was 
people don't understand Space 1999 because the emotionality of it, the effect of it, is carried so often, not through what people say, but through what you feel through the imagery. Right. And it was sort of never understood on that basis in Mm -hmm. the 70s. It's like the imagery is telling you what to think and you feel it. But you're saying, well, I didn't like the dialogue. The the dialogue was banal or whatever. I was like, no, no, forget the dialogue. (laughs) Forget the dialogue. Look at the pictures. What are the pictures telling you? And so for me, that was the revelation. That was the reason... And I know I'm skipping ahead here, but that, that was the revelation of my twenties. Like, I've got to write this book. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's kind of this uh, this discussion in America, more so than other parts of the world, of comparing Space 1999 to Star Trek. Had you seen Star Trek before? Or had you seen any of the other Jerry Anderson shows? So before Space 1999, I had to watch Star Trek. I'd seen Star Trek and, and Lost in Space. Uh-huh. And in advance of, uh, of this interview today, I was thinking about... Journey to the Far Side of the Sun. That's what we call it in America. It's doppelganger Uh (laughs) elsewhere. Uh Um, And I'm trying to remember if I actually saw that before Space 1999 or after. But it was right around at the same time. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's very much the same thing as Space 1999. It's very much the same thing as UFO, too. A lot of the same props and cast. Absolutely. And and again, it's this idea of, look what we can do. Look at this amazing high-tech world we have. Look, look, you know, these rocket launches, the the gadgetry. It's -hmm. just astonishing. And it's filmed so beautifully. But then again, the story, you know, is this weird, mind-blowing thing. Again, it's not like we go out, explore the universe and make friends. It's like, what the hell is this? (laughs) Yeah, we, we go out into space and find some strange phenomenon that we can't explain. Right. Exactly. And so for me, I mean, I remember vividly... Journey to the Far Side of the Sun was played on a local sort of uh, network affiliate hmm. um, on, it was called the 430 Movie, I believe. And my sister's maybe a year older than me, a year and a half older than me. She's, she and I watched it together, and she was terrorized by the ending. <laughs> Just absolutely terrorized by it. <laughs> and I loved that. I, I loved that. I mean, it impacted me the same way, but she was sort of my emotional barometer. I might not have reacted yeah. the way she did, but she was terrorized by this yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I just loved that. So to, to me, like that was of a piece with Space 1999. I don't think I ever connected um, when I was very young that they were by, you know, both by Jerry Anderson. It, mm-hmm. it was just part of these things that I liked. Yeah. And, and the 430 movie... It showed things in addition to Journey of the Far Side, like Soylent Green, the Omega Man, mm-hmm. the Planet of the Apes film. So th- that that to me, that's the you know that's the primordial <laughs> swamp from which I ascended. You yeah, know? yeah, that that's all the influences you know in my life. That and and, and sort of Space nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, uh, you know th- those those dark imaginings that looked at the world. In a way that it, they weren't just maybe dystopian, but that they made you talked before about like questions. They made they made, I wanted to explore yeah. like what would it be like to live in that world? Yeah, what would it be like to to be there? And I don't know if it's because of you know I tend to be more of a cynic or something. But it's like I thought I want the world to be like Star Trek. Sure, yeah, but the world is going to be like Soylent Green, right? <laughs> or Silent Running or something like yeah. that. Yeah. There was something frighteningly plausible to me. And tantalizing about Doppelganger and Space 1999. 
Yeah, and it's really interesting because, of course, Jerry Anderson is known for his his super marination technique True. with Thunderbirds and Fireball XL5 going all the way back to Supercar, Four Feather Falls. So these these kind of shows you weren't aware of or didn't know about. I did not. I, I was not aware of any of that, I would say, until... Um, you know, I was a teenager mm-hmm. and I didn't get to really see those until the nineties and the advent of the sci-fi channel. And so I, 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 I remember very vividly again, going to work in the nineties and Stingray would be on in the morning and, you know, we had to commute up into Charlotte. I, I worked uh, in a hospital and my wife was like, let's go, let's go. I'm like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> this Stingray episode is almost <laughs> over. It's like, we are going to be last. Like, I know, but I haven't seen this one. <laughs> um, you know, and that's how, that's how I discovered UFO. And right. Became, the, the kind of missing link there between Journey right. to the Far Side of the Sun and Space 1999. Right. And I just fell in love with UFO. You know, I mean, so much so that even though I was in my 20s, I thought I want to you know, dye my hair white and wear Naru jackets and, you know, do, do the... You're asking your girlfriend to put on a purple wig. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> Ed Straker and, and what he went through mm. in that show, I, again, we didn't get there, I think, in American television till the 90s, late 90s. Yeah. But you look at some of those episodes of, of UFO, Confetti Check A-OK, mm-hmm. um, A Question of Priorities. Yep. Th- th- those are tragedies. Th- yeah. Those are tragedies. This is not a happy man and he's not living a happy life. And yeah. to me, it, it was just amazing. I think, how can people not love this? <laughs> yeah. How yeah. can people totally not you know, groove on this. This yeah, is amazing. People, people didn't understand the human drama element of it. And we're looking for something more like, uh, well, like a, a Thunderbirds romp. That's kind of, you know, right. Thunderbirds is very, there's a lot of optimism and positivity about Thunderbirds, right? which is a thing that I love about it. And one of the reasons that it's one of my favorites. A- absolutely. And, you know, something sort, sort of like Stingray or Fireball XL5 or, mm-hmm. or, or Star Trek by comparison. Mm-hmm. They have a worldview and that's great. And I love that worldview too. For me, Jerry Anderson from like 1969 to <laughs> 1976, 1977, like that captures the worldview that I find most interesting uh, yeah. in science fiction. That That's it. Like to me in that era – you know, he could do no wrong. He was on the cutting edge. He was daring, provocative, edgy. Yep. A- and again, for somebody who had the reputation of working on, you know, something in America with quote unquote puppets. Right. Kids shows. Right. Quote unquote. Exactly. And, and, and I think that, again, you know, you talk about reception at the time. It's probably why, you know, when you have a bad review of Space 1999 or UFO, that's why. Mm-hmm. Because really, what do critics do except judge against something that, that's come before? When you're mm-hmm. faced with something new, the yeah. shock of the new, you don't necessarily know yeah. how to understand it. How do you how, interpret it? How do you interpret it? How do you process it? And... Um, you know, it became very important to me to process that. And for other people, it's aggressive to process it the same way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at this. I remember my wife and I watching it. As, as like, you know, I got all the laser discs in the mid-90s. And, and she had never seen Space 19. I said, you have to watch this. <laughs> but I was, Is she a sci-fi fan? Do you guys watch sci-fi together? We watch it together, but it's because she indulges me. <laughs> I see. I see, yeah. Not because... I'm in a similar boat. So I understand <laughs> what you're talking about. She's very good to me. She's very good to me. And she'll watch it. And she's watching space 99 many times with me but you know she was a good test for me because i got to see it on laserdisc again 
you know, in 1994 or thereabouts. And I kept thinking, is it going to hold up? Mm-hmm. It, am I going to be right or have I been deluded? Right. It, is it just the glow? Yeah, was of it the rose? Yeah, the rose-colored glasses yes. of nostalgia. Right, exactly. And then I watched, I was like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah. This is great. There's nothing like this. There's nothing like this then, and there's nothing like this now. Yep. And there's still nothing like it, right? Yep. So I had that moment too after after going through film school and, and all that and you know, being exposed to the more, you know, Fellini and all this like right. this stuff up in the air. You're like, ooh, can I go back and watch Space nineteen ninety nine? And there's still a lot to appreciate. There is. Even there is. from that perspective. So you know, like I said, I'm I'm 52, and I've been watching the show since I was, you know, at the end of being five or starting to be six, whatever. And I've gone back and rewatched it so many times in my life at, you know, at different stages, sort of of my development. And I've always found something there that engages me, and I've always found something new that makes it enjoyable again. It hasn't yeah. stopped doing that for me. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I'll sit down in an episode, like. I don't even remember this moment, but what a great moment that is there. Like, why did I never pay attention to that moment before? Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, it's still, you know, I'm, I'm still unlocking or discovering, uncovering, excavating, whatever the word is, you know, something amazing in Space 1999. Parts two and three of that interview to follow. Lovely. Pod 189 and Pod 190. Thank you very much, John Kenneth Muir and Ben. What an interesting chap. John's books can be found on Amazon. Uh, If you can check the show notes on this episode, you'll find a link to his blog, or you can just Google John Kenneth Muir. That's M-U-I-R. And find him on Twitter at J.K. Muir. J-K-M-U-I-R. M-U-I-R. Yeah, good. Got it. That that was it. I'm done. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Are you done? Yeah. It says here in the script that you're supposed to say crikey. It does, yes. All right. I should say that now. Crikey. You're you're right. What a a perfect reaction. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Really. There's nothing. Uh, Now, I'm going to head on over to YouTube, actually. I said I was going to leave it to last week, but there's some lovely comments on uh, uh, a couple of the videos that have appeared recently of our recent podcasts and fab facts. For example, Ian Dealey says, Happy New Year to all Anderson fans everywhere. Really enjoyed this week's podcast. Nice to have Terry Adlam back again as a special extra host. And great to have Space Precinct back on the randomizer. Quite right too, Ian. Peacemaker Dan says, Hi, Jamie and Richard. Happy New Year. I got my Thunderbirds calendar in time for Christmas and it's really great. I was wondering, says Dan, if you would consider maybe next year doing a calendar of Space 1999 or Captain Scarlet original series. I'd buy one for sure. All the best and FAB, Spectrum is green. Well, now we've experimented mm. with other other brands, other shows, calendars in previous years and they've, yeah. they've done all right. Not okay. amazingly. Yeah. Uh, we did yeah. a Space 1999 one a couple of years ago, which I thought was yeah. rather lovely, but eh, don't know why. Yeah. Fans didn't no. like it. So if you saw that a couple of years ago and you didn't get it, then well, why? Yeah. We'd love to they know are. more. But if you do have a particular hankering for a particular calendar, then please do email podcastjerryanson.com with the subject line calendar hankering. And... Um, <laughs> in there just yeah. to give us your your thoughts about what show you want and why i really like the format that we've got for the thunderbirds one though the little stories and the little inset uh-huh. images from the show and chris's brilliant yep. uh, cg artwork i think it's yeah. really lovely uh, if you like the format let us know too um now also yeah yes. i'm gonna say something here that, oh, that, that come on, man. well a thunderbirds calendar will pick up people who just have a passing interest won't it people for whom jerry anderson is Thunderbirds. Mm. So I suppose you're gonna hit a, a bigger market for that than you would perhaps a Space 1999 or a, you know 
Captain Scarlet, even. Well, you say that, but... Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know what I'm talking about, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'm just uh, saying some words. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Uh, now, here's the, uh, <laughs> my favourite comment ever on any of our podcasts on our YouTube channel. Noah Banks. Uh, uh, don't know Noah. No, he just says, quite simply, this is one podcast I didn't see coming. Oh. There you go. That's okay. it. So, there we are. Nice surprise. Uh, Fab Facts. Now, this is uh, the musical cameo from Barry Gray. Yes. Uh, in Captain Scarlet. So, show uh, Kiryu uh, posted, I always preferred the electronic Sonovox version of the outro from the first 14 episodes than the second version by the Spectrum. Don't get me wrong. I still love that too. But just something about the first version. And with the voice, just, it's much more fitting to the show, I feel. I never knew that Barry himself did it, though. Amazing fact. Yeah. Uh, Greg Follum says, this is not entirely surprising. Barry Gray began his music musical career as a treble chorister at Blackbird Cathedral and he always said that he enjoyed writing for voices uh, yeah fair enough Michael posted guys like this is really important guys 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 he says I- I've had some marketing ideas sell copies of Captain Scarlet's application for employment with Spectrum I bet he has an interesting CV before joining or personally owned vehicles parking permits for headquarters. The fancy keys to get access to the little captain's executive washroom. All kinds of fun products to sell. Be well and have fun. And that's from Mike in Virginia Beach. They're quite nice. I like that. Thanks, Mike. They're they're certainly niche. That's for sure. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Uh, Now, actually, I did say that that previous comment was my favourite that had ever been left under one of our podcasts on YouTube. But it's already been uh, bumped off the top spot by Heritage Ancaster, which is a name to conjure with, who simply says, this podcast is the most intelligent thing on YouTube today. I mean, there you go. That's it. That is quite something. Yeah, we're putting that on the posters. That's the quote. (laughs) Although I did notice that they say, today. So that might have changed by now. Well, or it's just an evergreen compliment saying every day. I don't, I don't know. Well, I like that. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Let's, let's pretend that. Uh, so, yes, do pop over to our YouTube channel. Leave comments there. You can tweet us as ever on Twitter. Uh, me, Richard and James. Him over there. I'm Jamie Anderson. And him. Oh, that he's taken the... S- He's put his safety goggles on. I think we're about to witness quite an experiment there. Uh, That's Chris Dalek. uh, And let us know what you think about the uh, podcast, what your thoughts are about any Jerry Anderson series, and uh, I'll read them out next time. Uh, Oh. What? Now, you know that thing where somebody does a massive build-up and then delivers something rather disappointing? Yeah, like Chris has been throughout this entire podcast. (laughs) Filling up files of funny-coloured liquid, smoke everywhere. Yeah. Now, yeah. he's just been mouthing to me uh, yeah. one lump or two. He's making tea. He's making a cup of tea. That whole apparatus, oh, clearly borrowed right. from Dr. Beaker, yes. was to make a cup of bloody tea. Oh, well. <sighs> well, it better be good. We'll let you know after the randomizer. Uh, mm. Chris is bringing them over now in a sort of two soup style, so there yes, probably won't be careful. much left. Uh, yeah. But Chris, once he's given us our cups of tea, which he's uh, so carefully prepared, will be giving us his randomizer this week, where he randomly presses the randomizer red button and randomly selects a random Jerry Anson series and episode and says mm-hmm. some things about it. And he's going to do that right now. Oh, yeah. Madman! Good morning. What are you playing at? It could have been a serious accident. That heap of iron shouldn't be allowed on the road. Well, yes, I suppose landing my eagle actually on the road is a bit dangerous. Still, you managed to stop your car in time, so no harm done, eh? Oh, 
Oh dear. What were you trying to do? I could have been killed. Oh, simply trying to get your attention, Mr. Fearless Foley, sir. Wondering if you might press the button on the randomizer for us today. Well, I think that... Excellent, splendid, thank you. Well, finger on this button, please. All right, uh, all right. Thank you. Oh, uh, my name's Chris, by the way, also known as the Randomizer in some quarters. <laughs> These ridiculous nicknames they give people. And this is Marina. She can't speak. They're obviously both unbalanced. Well, yes, you know, it has been suggested. That's not the point. Right, let's see what we have today. Well, today's episode is from Terrorhawks. Really? Yes, and it's Happy Maid Day. I don't understand. Oh, you will. My lovely boy. So, here we are, back with Terrorhawks. It doesn't feel like it was uh, too long since we were last here, but this is a quite notable episode of the show. I believe it's the um, first in production order to actually end with a Stein pun slash joke for the name of the writer. I am powerless. And this is a nice intro. Even to mend your evil ways, Zelda. Where it looks like Zelda's been defeated and no alternative. Tiger is being shot in a very, very interesting dark. No more chances, Zelda. Shadows here, wearing a strange cloak. Forever. Please. The game is over, Zelda. No. But uh, some indication that he's not quite. So are you. Who he appears to be is. Uh, oh, Moid. Bravo. Well, the fact that he's named Moid. Which just goes to show that even, what, we're now entering the fourth year of the podcast, I think? I don't know, I've lost track. And uh, this is our first Moid episode on The Randomizer, I believe. Do it, Moid. I have always had a small talent for mimicry. So even though this is, I'm currently projecting that The Randomizer will run for about ten years, um... Even at the nearly halfway mark, we are still encountering new characters. That stupid way. Yes, you do, you gargling idiot. And although this is, uh, I think, eighth in production order, it was aired quite early on in the run. I think it was aired, like, fourth? Years of dedication have made him mind, master of infinite disguise. Right, so we know we have... You are too kind to your humble servant. Ah, some kind of... uh, alien disguise artist here. Our plan is laid. Currently disguised as Tiger. Theory, it's going to work. Which is a very clever way to set up the character. We know we have a disguise artist here. We know he's obviously being connected with the Martians. We know he's in some way alien. But we're not going to get the reveal of what he looks like until much later, which is uh, a pretty good idea, really. You want to see me beat you again? I want to see you try. Ooh. Hero is ready for liftoff in Treehawk. Yes, Hawkeye is... Uh, oh, have a good fright. Uh, thank you for that. Yes, Hawkeye is playing uh, Tiger's game and doing quite well. Hi. Maybe you're losing your touch. He's creeping up on that 750 high score. Maybe you're not. Treehawk, you have a 1050. 10-10. Yes, it's, it's interesting with this show, um, and, and a few other shows as well in the Anderson universe, in fact, that... Uh, for some vehicles, we know exactly how they get into them. With Treehawk, Treehawk is one of those where you've got no idea. How does anybody get into that thing? Never shown. But we should be getting our first sight of Bell's Comet. Ah! Uh-huh. Oh, that's that comet named after that art director guy. Is it 
Barbell. That's a nice nod to uh, another longtime Anderson collaborator. You missed that one, hotshot. Man. <clears throat> Present company accepted, Sergeant Major. Thank you, Mom. Space. Yes, this is a uh, quite a strong episode for for so early in Terrorhawks' run. Coming into range now. The comet will be visible in the eastern sky for one and a half minutes. This is probably the first episode where I can honestly, genuinely put my hand on my heart and say I think they've got all the characters nailed by this point. Confirmed. It is a double echo. Tiger, we may have a problem. I'm calling at 10.30. I'll be right there. 746, 749. Oh. Pleasure before business, Hawkeye. Don't you mean... No. The way you were scoring, turning that thing off was a real pleasure. Uh, we've all had that. that if, if you've ever had a games console, you've always had that family member who always turns them off when they're winning. Oh. When they're not winning, I should say. When you're, when I'm winning, when I'm winning, they turn it off. But the echo is shifting. It's moving away from the main body. Identify fast. 10-10. Oh, it's a rhino. And a nice close-up on the, um, I, I, I guess, the bridge section from which uh, a Zeef has been launched. Positive identification. And the space tracker Zeroids have already picked it up. I, I always wondered about these space tracker Zeroids. Are they actually just fixed in there the whole time, or do they actually get to come out and have a break? Coming I hope they get to come out and have a break, because it would be quite a dull existence otherwise. Open fire as soon as you can. Targeting now. 101 has been left alone in charge of Space Hawk while, uh. I. You're running out of time, 101. I can't. Hero has been visiting Hawk Nest. Hawk will be caught in the detonation. Oh no. Zeef closing. Take evasive action. Yes, Treehawk not really built for, uh, for space combat as such, so he's returning to. to Earth, heading into the upper atmosphere, but. Ooh! I've been hit! been hit. Main thrusters 10-0. Oh, and here, here we go. This lovely um, music from Close Call. I, I adore this piece of music. Just about Dr. Einstein. The Zeef's still on your tail. Oh, this is exciting. Poor old hero's having a bit of trouble. Can't level out. You must activate auxiliary motors. Activating motors. Ooh. And some uh, some movement on the model there that I suspect might have been stop motion, and you do see occasional bits of stop motion in this series as the um, the wings opened there to fire the the retros. Status on Treehawk. You're going to have to fly her manually. Ten ten. Switching to manual. So everything seems to be under control now, except. Thousand feet. For space sake, level out. He's not leveling out. A nice close-up there on, on Tiger's mouth, and then we cut to a close-up on Hero's mouth, and then zoom out again. An odd shot, but uh, quite effective. Done it! Yay! Oh, but, uh... Oh. Out of fuel! Oh, no! I'm approaching an ice field. I'll ditch there. 10-10. Hawkwing's on its way. Why we didn't launch Hawkwing earlier, I don't know, but my goodness, this is a cool crash landing. Lovely stuff. He's down. And again, this ice field, although it ties in with what I've said before about 
this show doing a lot of things setting a lot of events away from major population centers you know you never see a populated city as such in this show this ice field makes such a change from the usual deserty jungly bits and hero has uh, hauled himself out of treehawk made his way into a cave which is uh very pretty and sparkly got his gun at the ready just in case anyone from the zeef tries to uh follow him oh who's this Who's there? Wow. Who is it? It's the same figure we saw on Mars earlier. Disguised as... Dr. Neinstein? Yes, it's me. Doctor, am I glad to see you? I'm pleased to have found you. There was a fire hazard in Treehawk. Fuel spellage. I thought I'd better get clear. Very wise. Hmm. Doctor, are you feeling all right? And what I like about the, um... But you look in bad shape. The the way the tiger puppet looks here, and I suspect it is just the regular tiger puppet, except that when Moid is playing tiger and when he's playing hero, in both cases, the puppets have... The doctor. Well, it, it looks a bit like mascara. There's something going on around the eyes to suggest this isn't the real person. And it's a very subtle effect. Serenity. Don't you think? But it's quite effective. It makes the characters look quite sinister and adds to the illusion that there's something underneath their faces. Oh, there we go. Tiger has given Hero a shot. Of course, it's not Tiger, it's Moid doing his Zelda impression. And poor old Hero being so trusting, he uh, didn't really question where Tiger came from or how. He's unconscious. I do like the uh, the Terror Hawk's winter gear. Hawkeye's looks very practical, but of course, Kate, as with everything she wears, her wig has to match the uh, hero, the color of her her uniform. Let's get him to Hawkwing. So she has a white fur coat, and she has to wear a white wig with it, even though normally she would launch with her pink wig with her pink Terrorhawks uniform. Evidently, she changed wigs before she got out of Hawkwing. Attack. The final attack? Yes. In episode four? In our fleet. An attack. What shall I wear? A new dress? Oh. A dress? You need an attire suitable for battle. Of course. A battle dress. Ah, I like it when... Uh, when in this show, they, they the Martians make a bit of a, a show of going into battle. In, in Christmas Miracle, they dress up quite a bit too. You're grinning about. And here comes another subplot. It's my birthday, sir. Zero's birthday. What? Birthday, sir. I checked on my date of manufacture. I was switched on for the very first time four years ago today at 0400 hours to be precise. And that's quite interesting because if you look at Zero's um, activation date, according to the... Uh, annual I believe it's 2018 get out of here so in that case that would put this episode uh -huh. yeah 2022 I'm fine doctor so even though we we reached 2020 which was the year Zelda attacked obviously and we feel like we've kind of you know the Terrorhawks future is kind of receding into our own past no this episode uh, at the time of 
this edition of the Jerry Anderson podcast. Get back on duty. The events of this episode have yet to happen. Give my regards to those plants of yours. A plant? Oh, yes, uh, I will. Ah, something's not right with Hero. But, uh, yeah, putting that... I, I, I would never think to uh, sit down and try to put together a Terrorhawks chronology. I suspect you probably wouldn't get very far. But that was a rare instance of, uh, of a date. Welcome back, Lieutenant. Being given in a story there. You will assume control of all operations on the ship. Yes, Lieutenant. It would also put a lot of um, you will obey no other Moids episodes quite late in the uh, the Terrorhawks' experiences of, of battling with Zelda. Obey only your voice? Exactly. Sir, you Ooh. said it. I said what? Exactly. Exactly. I'm going on a tour of inspection. The whole ship. And get those plants out of here. <gasps> They're dust traps. Oh, no. Dust traps? So? Something's wrong. Something's terribly wrong. Yeah, why would Moid be worried about dust traps, for starters? But yes, uh, Moid has now replaced Hero on Spacehawk. We don't know where the real Hero is. And he's given orders to 101 to basically just do as he's told or else. Am I to conclude this is a day for celebration, Sergeant Major? Yes, ma'am. The fourth anniversary of my day of manufacture. Yay. Well, congratulations. Happy Maid Day. Ooh, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> I do like as well that um, something that's clearly so important to Zero and Tiger couldn't care less, but Mary is genuinely happy for him. Uh, I, I do like that. Not just the relationship between uh, Tiger and Zero and Zero and Mary, but also the way the three of them kind of counterbalance each other when it comes to, to Zero. Is this you know, Tiger resents and despises him. Mary is like, yes, you're a real person. Good for you. And Sistar has uh, dressed for the occasion. She's um, gone a bit over the top, though. Let battle be joined. Oh, yeah. She's wearing a um, a metal, uh, well, a battle um, chest dress thing and a, a metal helmet with uh, red, white, and blue feathers sticking out of the top. And this is one of those rare occasions where they launch the whole fleet to go and uh, go and attack Earth. They seem to reserve these attacks for when uh, Spacehawk is no. going to be defenseless. What? And I love the way they they could open one of the shutters, the eyelids on 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 the Xeroid faces. And what about the lieutenant? It makes them so much more expressive, as well as the, the eyes wiggling backwards and forwards. Isn't Lieutenant Hero? Space Sergeant, you will not contact Hawknest in any way. Is that understood? Yes, Lieutenant. Oh dear. He must be sick, sir. Probably needs scrapping. But that's what he said. <laughs> lieutenant Hero wasn't Lieutenant Hero. Zero is always so supportive of 101. Be not. Kate, this is a 1050 for Hawkwing. I want you to search for the wreckage of that alien ship Hero said crashed on the glacier. Ten, ten. It's all getting a bit Captain Scarlet now. Someone's been replaced. Can we find evidence of uh, wreckage? Specifically of the Zeef that Moid Hero said was destroyed. I have a contact. It looks like the whole of Zelda's fleet. Thank you, 101. But sir, we should lock onto the target. Don't tell me what to do. Ooh. I was wondering earlier, um, when Hero was in the ice cave, he was holding his gun, and I noticed on 
one of the fingers of his left hand. Kind of replica. There was some kind of ring, and I thought it was the bottom of the gun, but it's it's on the, the Moid hero there as well. Direct order. Open fire. You obey only my command. I wonder what's, what that's about. Obey orders, master and slave. Ah, here we go. Humans must be obeyed. He shorted out, sir. I was never a big fan of this with the Xeroids. Hawk is neutral. Um, where they try to recreate the, um... Hine and his snivelling pack are at our mercy. The Robot the Robot blowing his top thing from XL5. Thankfully, it didn't last long into the series. <laughs> that was uh, Zero's catchphrase in early episodes. The whole thing is totally beyond my comprehension. The space aeroids are programmed to fire on command of Space Sergeant 101. Oh. But with 101 out of commission, we're in deep trouble. So she called them space aeroids, which means that they're, they're potentially different from regular aeroids. That would be a very sad existence. Zero, calling 101, and all you lovely space aeroids. Yeah, space aeroids again. And today, this is a lovely speech from Winsor Davies, though. Get on with it, Zero. <laughs> Now, I've never lied to you lads. In fact, I'm programmed not to lie. As we all know, there are ways around that particular circuit. <laughs> oh, again, the eye animation there does so much for the character. I would never deceive any one of you. Zelda is launching a massive attack. Oh. I want you to open fire! Good eye acting from Hero there as well, or from Moid, I should say. The honor of the regiment is as, as 101 was listening to Zero's words, Moid just kind of gave him a sideways glance. Sound the bugle! Let the tunes of glory ring in your ears! I'm with you! What an asset Windsor was to this show. Stay right where you are. This is Space Sergeant 101. Open fire! 101's resolved his mental problems. He's uh, pulled a gun on Hero. Or Moid, I should say. Open fire on the fleet. We would be safe. And I still never really got with this. And I think there's a couple of episodes later. Retreat. Time Warp would be one where they've deployed the whole fleet. <laughs> on the basis of Spacehawk being defenceless. But with a, a fleet of eight of Zelda's ships Sergeant Major versus Spacehawk it still seems to me like it would be at least an even fight if not an easy victory for Zelda deserve it not you zero i'm talking about 101 he really saved the situation mm. 101 you bad. oh poor zero overflying the glacier the zeef didn't crash scan indicates one human life form in the area it has to be Hero. Oh. Real Hero. Yes, indeed. So they've, the Martians just left Hero unattended in a cave. Disguise in your space station. Ooh. But I have your Hero. Oh, he wasn't unattended. He was left with a cube and tied up. There are hundreds. We shall have to do business, won't we, Doctor? All right, Zelda. We'll make the exchange in the ice field. So, Zelda's mothership is uh, out in the ice field. 
There she is with Hero in the cube. Despicable Ninestein has failed to keep the appointed hour. No, there he is. Zelda. <laughs> Destroyed the cube. Told you to keep out of sight. I did not observe your arrival. You weren't meant to. Let's get this over. And that dialogue points to a, a slightly truncated ending for this episode, but I think what's about to happen more than makes up for it. This is quite a shock ending. This hero takes off the mask and there's the face of Moy. I wear many faces, but have none of my own. Yes, I wonder how many... This is your creation, Zelda? How many people ran screaming from their televisions in terror at the sight of Moid back in the day? To depart. But yes, there's a there's a whole scene I think filmed and or at least recorded. It's in the script, and uh, of Hero and Tiger going back to Hudson. One can feel a certain sorrow, even for an enemy. Which included that line. But yeah, first appearance of Moid, right there. And uh, although uh, there's Tiger's line. This is your creation, Zelda. The fact that she doesn't respond kind of fires the imagination a bit. It certainly fired my imagination when I, I wrote uh, an episode for the audio series of Terrorhawks later on establishing where Moid had come from. But anyway, that was Happy Made Day. And yeah, definitely the in-production order and yeah, probably broadcast order as well. The strongest episode of the series to that point. Um, compared to, to some of the others that came later on, it's fairly conventional but there's a nice almost captain scarletish feel to this one of of someone having been replaced and someone in a position of of, of authority and trust um is now not what they appear to be and of course the reveal at the end there of not only the shocking appearance of moid but also the slightly tragic element to the character which would be repeated many times throughout the rest of the series Well, Ooh, there. who doesn't You're remember happy the Terrorhawks? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I think Happy Made Day was one of my favourites when I was growing up as well. Oh, really? Because it's quite zero-focused. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of nice, that. So, yeah, very good. Love a bit of Terrorhawks. Yeah, yeah love a bit of Terrorhawks. And maybe yeah. that's well done, inspired Chris. you, Podstron, to go and watch Terrorhawks right now. Uh, now, I've got a quick question. Would you like some more free episodes of things on our YouTube channel? What? Would you? What? I mean, we quite like giving you free things. So we could give you some more free new Captain Scarlet, some more Space Precinct, some more Terrorhawks. Any of those oh. tickle your fancy? Uh, drop us an email, podcast at jerryanderson.com, with the subject line, free episode hankering. Uh, and we would lovely, we would lovely, we would love to we know lovely. what lovely yeah. free episodes would make you feel all lovely inside. There's uh, quite a bit of hankering going on this week, I've noticed. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a mm. hankering for some hankering. For some hankering, enough. yes, yeah. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I've also got a hankering for the end of this podcast. So, uh, Richard <laughs> James, is there anything you'd like to wrap up with before we hanker off? Well, I've just, we've got all the way to the end of the podcast, and I've realised I haven't pleaded with our listeners yet to subscribe to us on whichever platform they're listening to us on. I've not even mentioned the fact that they could leave us a lovely review and a rating to let other listeners know that they're enjoying the show. And I've not even ventured into the realm of asking them to copy the link to all their socials so their friends get to hear us too but i'll do that now yeah off you go done. then well i've done it <laughs> oh of course sorry. Again. Yeah, yeah i see what you've done yes where good. were you uh i was actually mm. texting nick briggs sorry 
Fair enough. Okay. Yes, it was very important. I was giving him some technical advice on uh, on something. Right. <laughs> anyway, look, that's the end of pod 188 or 188, as we've also called it, of the Jerry Anderson podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> have you taken a screenshot of something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, have, yeah. Interesting. I hope it's not rude. Is that all right? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no. You carry on. Uh, so we'll be back next week with Pod 189 uh, <laughs> or 190 minus 1. What are you doing? Oh, no, sorry. Do carry on. I am listening. Are you doing selfies? No, no, carry on. Okay, fine. <laughs> and Richard and I and Chris yeah. will be back next week. Yeah. In your ears with more Joey Answer goodness. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Stage one complete. Let's go. I mean, no, that, no, no. it's a great sound effect that. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? I thought I had my phone on silence. Sorry about that. But I, I'll tell you what it was. What now, was Tom it? Hodden, as as you know, yes, uh, very kindly forwards me some quick fire fires every week. And in fact, he sent me a whole tranche a couple of weeks ago, which we're now making our way through. Right. Uh, and I just realised I'm going to do a bit of prep for next week. So I was just taking some uh, little screenshots of the ones that he'd sent uh, for me to write down in the script for next week. <laughs> nice. And I thought I'd do it now when I was thinking about it. Okay, of course. And I mean, he'd done all on. the interesting stuff. We'd had the news and the randomizer and fab facts. So I just thought, well, I'll just make use of the time. Well, that's very good. I'm glad you made that's some news of it. Uh, yeah. Now, you've got that sound effect. Yes. I've got a sound effect for you. Are you ready? What? Oh, it's not. It's not. No. Oh, it's this. That's a relief. Oh, now. I like that. What was it? Well, it was the, the thing from that thing, wasn't it? Well, what about this? Was it? Yeah. I mean, is it a UFO from. Oh. Is it a. Yeah. Oh. Okay, go on. It's, it's John Pertwee's sonic screwdriver sounds. <laughs> Of course it is. Yes, of course it is. I thought it was the UFO sound from UFO. I thought it was, that's no, it. that's got more of a. Yes, yeah, that's it. I mean, better than that, obviously, but obviously, yeah, yeah. Anyway, look, we can go off yeah. and make sounds to our hearts' content offline. Oh, so let's good. not put the post on any more of it. We'll just go now. Yeah, fair enough. See you next week then. Bye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment Production.